Hello, you're listening to All About Eater on the World Radio Paris. I'm your host, Crudy, and I'll be discovering what the Eater Project and Fusion Energy are all about. Eater is one of the most ambitious energy projects ever attempted. It is here in the south of France that a coalition of 35 nations is collaborating to build the largest and most powerful device to prove the scientific and technological feasibility of fusion power. Come and join me in this audio journey. Welcome to episode two about the world's largest scientific experiment, ITER. Currently, we live in a diversely multicultural world that has become globalized in every direction through technology, communication, food, art, fashion, and of course, science. ITER as an organism truly embodies this spirit of diversity and globalization at its core. With scientists, engineers, and employees hailing from countries all around the world... It's a big challenge to make sure they succeed in adapting, communicating, and really figuring out how to harness this grand power of the sun. To understand the magnitude of what it takes to manage all these high talents that come here and need to adapt to this international working zone in the south of France, we will be speaking with the head of HR, the welcome office, and especially the unique international school that was created here just for ITER. So as before, here we are with Anna Bondareva from ITER Communications, who will accompany us to decipher the inner workings at ITER. Hey, Anna, it's good to see you again. Hi, Kruti. Hi, everybody. Indeed, it's great to see you again at ITER. Just to remind you briefly, I'm a member of the ITER Communications Office, working on the social media and social outreach. So, as you have just said, ITER is much more than just an engineering project. Just imagine people from different corners of the world come here to make fusion possible. Uh, that's why it's very interesting to see how the ITER community functions together. The main body that attracts and helps the ITER staff and, and, and contractors is the human resource department. So to get more insight on how they manage all that, I suggest we talk to Eric Welsh now, the head of HR at ITER. All right, let's go. All right, so now we are speaking with Eric Welsh the director of HR at ITER. Um, Eric, would you kindly present yourself? Tell us a little bit about yourself so we can know how you came here. Sure, with pleasure. Yes, my name is Eric Welch. Um, I've been at ITER for about four and a half years now. As you can probably tell, I'm from the US. Um, I've spent a, a variety of time in different international organizations before coming here. I've lived in Italy for a few years, in different places in France for a couple years. I was in Belgium for about eight years. And I had, uh, right before coming to ITER, had moved back to the U.S. and was there for about a year, but I really missed the international environment and was uh, very happy to find that there was such a an inspiring and uh, amazing project as the ITER Project, um, another international organization and located in southern France. So I was thrilled to find this opportunity and to be able to come here in late uh, 2016. Okay, great. And as the one in charge of HR and staffing of such an incredibly large and international organization, 
I would like to ask you two questions. So the first one would be in terms of attraction. How do you actually attract all these young and talented people who are needed for such a, an incredible task? The second question would be, what are the daily challenges of actually having those young and talented people from all around the world? Sure. Yeah, indeed. The attraction is a very uh, salient and important challenge for us. We certainly work on the, um, as an organization, and in fact, all of us are responsible for this at the organization, but we work on making sure that the ITER project is well known and well understood, both in our professional networks, but also our personal networks. It's quite important for us to be able to work on within HRD, we call it employer branding, but we work very closely with our comm team to make sure the outreach that we're doing from HR is consistent with the outreach that's being done for the project overall. The uh, I'd say the people who work in the areas with the most specialized skill sets related to ITER, so the fusion community in particular, they all know about ETERM because this is the culmination of decades and decades of research and other projects that have led to ETER being here. So in some ways, the people who are our most specialized are not the people that we need to convince about the, the existence of the project or the attractiveness of the project. What's more complicated or what has taken more outreach in the recent years as we're really working on construction is getting the engineers uh, to come here and to do this work when they may be working on other big engineering projects around the world and getting the scientists here when they know that they can come and start preparing for things, but they won't, in many cases, actually be doing a lot of science for a few more years until the building, construction, assembly, installation is completed. So it's trying to help everyone, all the profiles that we're targeting, understand how they can contribute now, how they might be able to contribute in the future for the organization. The location is certainly, I think, um, people all around the world are familiar with the images of southern France. Living in Provence is uh, a dream for many people, and so that's certainly an attraction. The reality is that it's not uh, necessarily a big city when people move here with their families or when they, a lot of people are overseas or expatriates for the first time. So we have to make sure that they feel welcome, that they understand the type of support that we have available for them on the project and that they understand what daily life is going to be like. So we make a lot of effort to um, not only make the jobs and the project look attractive, but also make sure that people have a realistic job preview before they come here, that they understand what the job is going to be, what the expectations are, and what life is like here. And then we can take an informed decision about hiring them, and they can take an informed decision about coming here. Could you give some uh, figures about um, what nations work here and how many people of different nations actually come to ITA? Sure. We have uh, about a thousand staff members currently. Um, we have seven ITER members, as you are probably aware. We don't necessarily track nationalities, uh, and especially within the EU, which is a member, so we don't necessarily break it down. But as a, a rough estimate, I can tell you that about two-thirds, about 64% of the staff are from the EU. 
Uh, about half of those are French and half of those are from other nationalities within the EU. And then the other members are distributed. We have about uh, 9% from China and then smaller numbers from the, the rest of the members from the US, from Russia, from Korea, from Japan, and from India. And so ideally, the, the ITER agreement actually says that there should be an adequate representation of the members. That adequate is not uh, defined in any uh, specific way, in any numerical way. Our interpretation or our target of that would be that the budget contributions of the members should be reflected in their staffing. So for the EU, that's 45%. For the other members, it's 9%. So the ideal would be for us to have about 9% of all the non-EU members in their staff representation. Uh, we're close to that for some, we're not so close to that for others, but it's really a, a challenge that is, I'd say, shared not just by HR for sure, um, not even by the IO staff, but for uh, all of the domestic agencies and everyone who contributes to ITER around the world. It's important that they understand what we're doing and that they can provide uh, good qualified applicants who would be interested in being here. And what are the biggest challenges for those who come uh, to ITA to work here, especially for those who come from outside of the EU? Yeah, I think there are, um, it'd be easy to divide them into professional and personal challenges. The professional challenges are um, significant. It's a an incredibly ambitious project. We're doing first-of-a-kind things and things at a scale that's never been done. So the technical challenges, the complexity of this machine uh, and of the project itself is incredibly high. And so the professional challenges are very rigorous, I would say. And then the personal challenges, it really depends on the, the person and the experience that they have. So it depends on if they're um, a first-time expatriate or they've been expatriated other times. It depends uh, if they speak French or not. One of the differences with ITER as an international organization compared to many international organizations in Paris or Brussels or Vienna or anywhere else in the world um, is that here we're in we have people living in a lot of small towns. There's not necessarily a big expatriate community in these different towns. And so there's a, a relatively high requirement to, in order to integrate, to be able to understand the local language. Whereas in a lot of big cities where there are international organizations, there's a big enough expatriate community that um, either in people's mother language or in English, they can get by without necessarily knowing so much of the host uh, country language. Are there any specific requirements uh, apart from professional background and uh, language, as you've just said, uh, for those who come here? Um, the requirements are very much job specific. So it depends on every uh, specific job, the type of background or the type of education that people might need to have. Um, another thing that's quite interesting, of course, in the different member countries, the educational systems are very different. And so um, even in the EU, it's been a big challenge over the past decades to find educational equivalencies and to have a, a harmonized um, grid of education levels. But if we expand that to the rest of the world, it's certainly very different. So we've had to be quite creative in the way that we, I'd say, give credit for education or experience when we look to hire people.
There's a technical requirement for all applicants to be nominated by their domestic agency. So anyone who applies here has to receive a nomination and endorsement from their domestic agency that their candidacy would be supported. That's um, a bit based on the technical uh, qualifications of the candidate, but also a confirmation that they are coming from that member from that country. So Eric, going back to what you talked about, the daily challenges that some of the expats feel when they move here, you spoke specifically about the language courses, for example, as well as the people who come in perhaps with young kids. Can you tell us how is it that they actually maneuver here and kind of go over those challenges? Sure. Yeah, it definitely is a uh, an important topic for a lot of people. Um, on the one hand, within the ITER organization and the ITER project, we only have one official language, English. So that's, uh, again, a bit unusual compared to other international organizations. So people have to be able to speak English to come here. But to be able, as I said, to be able to really integrate into the local communities outside of ITER, it's very important to be able to speak French. So we offer language courses um, to both the staff and their families. There's also certainly for people who are coming with children, their education is incredibly important for them. Um, the education system, of course, in the different countries, as I said, is very different, especially for young children. And it's not possible to duplicate every uh, national education system here. But as part of the headquarters agreement to host the ITER site, France agreed to have an international school. Um, and so we actually have, it's part of the French national education system, but it has an international curriculum. And so we're able to have courses in different languages for the children of the ITER staff and other collaborators that are here. So that's a very attractive uh, aspect for the, the families when they want to come here. And what about the adults themselves when they need to integrate into the little towns, like you said, when they move here for ITER itself? Sure. Yeah. And I, I think given, again, that we're not located in a city, people decide a bit where they want to live depending on their, their various personal situation and priorities. So some people may want to live in Aix-en-Provence because they want to be in a little bit bigger town or even in Marseille. Um, others would want to be closer to the school, and so they may live in Manosque, and other people, especially if they speak French or they're comfortable in smaller settings, they may live in any of the countless beautiful villages in the area. So language classes are available, French language classes are available for the staff and for their spouses as well. There are also quite a bit of um, a large number of activities that are available to help them understand uh, a bit better the culture, so the way... Um, uh, different locations have developed the history of different places here, uh, what a French market is like, uh, different types of French food, and uh, exploration, better understanding life here, basically. So through, there's, um, again, as part of the hosting agreement, the Agence Inter France was set up, and they have a welcome office, which provides a lot of administrative support, first vis-a-vis -vis the French government and administration for the staff and their families as well as to make sure that the um, staff really do feel welcome and that they can integrate successfully here. Well, thank you, Eric. And just very quickly, perhaps, um, before we go, I'd like to ask you, what are, what are the things that you like about being an international organization such as ITER, maybe some of the benefits or something that you see that you enjoy doing here? Um, I, that list is very long. <laughs> 
I, I love it here. It's incredibly fascinating. It's incredibly challenging to see not only different people coming from um, academic backgrounds or engineering backgrounds or scientific backgrounds or consulting backgrounds or government backgrounds. We have this mix of people and they all have different ways of working. But then we add all the national cultures and we see that there's just really a huge mix of people. And so one of the big opportunities I think we have here is to realize that people bring different aspects we need to decide how we're going to work here. We can't work in a thousand different ways, even though we have a thousand different staff. So we need to have a common understanding of what's expected and how we'll work. That's not that it's the best way to do things. Um, it will be different than it would be done anywhere else in the world at any other organization or any other company, but it's our way of doing things. And so we don't say it's better, but this is what we expect from people and how we expect to do things. And being able to think about how to continually improve the way that we work and be in an organization that's independent where we can adjust to the needs of the staff and the needs of our project is incredibly stimulating for me. Thank you so much for that. It's very interesting and insightful. Hope to speak with you again. Great. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the opportunity. We are here at the Welcome Office, which is one of the first physical places we pass when we enter the ETA's main headquarters, which is fantastic because we don't need a pass to enter on site. Mm -hmm. We are meeting with the lovely team members who are in front of me, Audrey Duval and Magali Chabrans. Hello, Audrey and Magali. Hello. Hello, Kriti. Thanks for taking the time to be with us on this mini-series about ETA. Can you please introduce yourselves and tell us about your roles here at the Welcome Office? Okay. So my name is Audrey Duval. Uh, I've been working for the Welcome Office for 16 years. Um, I'm very lucky because I was here at the very beginning of the project, uh, which is a huge and great project. Um, I'm a relocation manager at the Welcome Office. We are two uh, with my colleague, Laure Pat, and which means that we are the direct contacts to the ITA staff and families even before their arrival onto France. Hi, I am Magadi Chabron and uh, I work at the Welcome Office for 10 years now. Um, I'm in charge of the language program that we offer to the ITA employees and their families. Oh, that's fantastic. It sounds very interesting. Can you tell us further, what is the mission of the Welcome Office? Um, as the host country, France had different commitments to be in support of the ITER project, uh, such as the preparation of the ITER site, uh, the, um, uh, the construction of the, of the headquarters, and another one big commitment was to welcome the ITER staff and families to help them with their relocation and settlement in Provence. And this is the reason why the Welcome Office is a French entity which belongs to the CA, the French Alternative Energy and Atomic Commission. And in fact, the Welcome Office, we depend on the CA department called the Agence ITER France. And since the beginning of the ITER project, the Welcome Office has designed a welcome package so the IO staff and fam families can benefit from assistance and take the opportunity of this expatriation to make the most of it. 
Okay, cool. So what does that mean concretely? In which ways do you help and support the employees that finally move here to France? Um, so which means that um, the welcome package uh, we provide includes uh, different things. The first thing is a dedicated assistance for finding a permanent home. Uh, because that's their priority. This this is the pri the number one priority for the staff and the families to find a proper place. To do so, the Welcome Office has a commercial contract with a dedicated company, which assists them for the search home, be be there with them for visits, give detailed information, uh, explaining um, explanation sorry for the, about the French estate rules and in French specifics, and assist them for the for the signatures of contract and all the utilities. This part is very very important for the newcomers. Uh, a second mission is to provide our assistance for all the administrative formalities regarding. Visa, residence documents, car registration, custom formalities. The Welcome Office, we are the interface with the French administration. And this is, this is why we have set up specific administrative procedures uh, with the different involved ministries, such as the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, also, we are working on different communication tools, such as a new website to be launched very soon to, pro to provide accurate information about daily life in France and specific information about different topics to help more specially spouses. But this is very new, and for the moment, it's too early to talk, to talk about this in details. Uh, so this is a kind of business plan ready for the staff and family when they arrive. Um, I almost said everything because this plan also includes a very, a very important program. And this is who, the program that Magali is in charge of. Yes, so to help the newcomers and their family who come to work for the international organization, the Welcome Office runs the French language program. So the welcome office of the Agence ITER France is offering to all ITER directly employed staff and their spouse or partner the possibility to learn French in a dedicated program for two years or until they reach the level B1, which is the autonomous level, to be able to talk uh, in all kinds of situations. So the ITER staff can learn French on-site during lunch break or in Manosque or in Aix-en-Provence in evening course. The spouses and partners can learn French in Aix-en-Provence and in Manosque in the daytime or in evening class also. So this program is very helpful to learn French, of course, and feel better to in their new life here because outside of ITER uh, they need to be able to exchange to go to the store to go to the doctor and if they don't speak French it's really difficult for them to adjust also before the COVID crisis the Welcome Office organized the event all year round 
like uh, we used to do uh, uh, welcome seminars for the newcomers every month. Uh, we organized a networking coffee break with the spouses and partners in the cities around. We we had a Christmas celebration party, galette des rois, diploma ceremony for the French learners, and also uh, we we organized many workshops workshops about uh, subjects like making a French resume or looking for a job in France, mainly for the spouses that are living here but that are not working sometimes. Um, also, every year, we invite all the French learners and their family uh, to um, French Language and Culture Day that we organize uh, near Moustier Saint-Marie in a very beautiful place. So um, everybody is coming with uh, spouse and children and everybody gets along for a day of activities around French language and culture. We have workshops, we play games, we cook together French recipes, we eat together and it is a lot of fun. Yeah, that um, sounds fun. Everybody is enjoying their time and this kind of event is really here to make, uh, to create a bridge be in between the people and the communities so everybody knows better uh, the workers here and the families also. In parallel to this uh, French program, we also run the peer-to-peer -peer program. So as the name uh, is saying it, uh, um, it is run by peers, so colleagues here on, on site. And this program is um, aimed at sharing the uh, language and culture of the ITER members. So um, the Welcome Office is uh, setting up the organization, but we, we work with uh, volunteers, native volunteers that are teaching their language and their culture to their colleagues. So once a week, uh, people can meet uh, within the peer-to-peer -to, -peer to learn uh, Chinese or Hindi, Korean, Japanese, Italian, Spanish, and also Provencal classes. So all these people uh, are very happy to know better the other culture, and it helps them to to understand better how, how people are thinking, talking, and of course it helped to improve the relationship uh, to work together. That sounds wonderful. And it sounds like you really make their transition to France much easier when you give support with administration, translation, languages, and to help them mm -hmm. get together, which I understand is pre-COVID, but hopefully after a while. Yes, we mm. hope. Yeah. Yes. We hope to resume all that. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, let's say another thing I would like to ask, what would be for you the biggest challenge that you face when welcoming all these different kinds of people in such a large multicultural organization? In fact, with an increasing number of staff, newcomers, um, it's quite a challenge to provide a personal, uh, personalized and individual assistance to, to take time to get to know better their own story, their own culture. And for the Welcome Office team, it is very important to understand better all the people we have been welcoming. Uh, to have, and so it is very important to have some trainings to dedicate it to the cultures uh, we are working with because it helps a lot to communicate 
just better uh, in, a, in a more simple way without our own cultural filter. Um, mm. It also helps to find the right balance between their expectations and the scope of our services in a professional and caring way. Wow, I can imagine. That, that's a lot of cultures all amalgating together and needing that time. But as you said, you don't have enough. But with your trainings, that sounds very useful, very great. Um, and finally, because uh, I know you don't have so much time, but what would be your most memorable memory or moment with perhaps the international employees, with the people that you welcome, that you've helped over the years? There are so many, many, but <laughs> one thing uh, has to be uh, said is that many, many of us expressed a lot of gratitude to us. Uh, in their own way, usually uh, through gift, uh, through very, very kind messages. Um, some people who, when they finish their contract, they come back to their home countries and they say, oh, it was more difficult to go back to home because <laughs> there's no welcome office. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, what, what, and, and when people just before leaving France, they say, Thank you so much for all the help you you provided to us. It it is a it is a real gift, and we have many many times we have this kind of messages. Yeah. So for for us that's a, a real gift. Um, and yes, I would say there are some privileged moments uh, with these people, and there is just one example. Um, Uh, it was a, a Korean guy, uh, just to thank us, he went to the welcome of his prem here and he, he, he sang, he sang he, a song. He sang? Yeah. In and Korean? It was very, yes, yes, in Korean. Wow. Uh, a, a I think it was a traditional Korean song and it was so emotional okay. and so wow. calm, so pure. So, so, and you know, we were a little uh, surprised because yeah. we didn't expect, but it was wonderful. So wow. that's... Uh, That's uh, one of a very specific moment we can share. Yeah. And so Magali talk about Segrias, you know, in the Verdun, the special day, French culture, French cultures. And because it is a privileged moment that day, uh, it, because it's very powerful because we are all together uh, with the families from all ages and from all over the world. Yeah. And all the simple moments, you know, by cooking, by talking, by playing, uh, but very simple. Uh, it's it creates bridges, as you said, Magali. And for me, it's uh, let's say the conclusion is this one is okay. We are all different, but we are all the same human beings. Yeah, and in fact, without even traveling to any place in the world, you're able to travel yes. just by meeting. With all these people in mm. one place. Yes, oh, that that's is right. so wonderful. But thank you so much for sharing your experiences and for interviewing here with us. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you to you. Thank you for that moment. So our next stop is the International School in Manosk. Uh, it's a unique educational establishment, the first of a kind, and it offers studies for kids from three to 18 years old. Just imagine that. Uh, in seven languages. It's truly unique. Uh, so let's talk to Miss Laura Benjanan, the head of the international school. Okay, so now we are at the very well-known international school here in Manosk. 
with Madame Laure Benjamin. I'm sorry, is that the correct way of saying it? Perfect. Okay. Um, so we are here. Very, very excited to meet you. So one of the main questions we have for you is, can you tell us how and why the international school plays such an important part of the ETHER project? Yes, of course, and good morning to all. Well, from the beginning, you know, from the, the, the first ITER agreements uh, between 2005 and 2007, the school has been uh, a part of the ITER project. Um, the French president at the time, Monsieur Jacques Chirac, he wanted ITER to be implemented in France. So, among other things, he offered the participation of the French government to a school that is entirely paid by the French state. And uh, so they, he offered this international school and he said, and his counselor said, that children could study here in their mother tongue. At the time, it was supposed to teach in 10 different languages. Well, after, after a few years, in the end, we teach only in seven different languages, which is quite a lot. <laughs> um, and also, it, it, it was meant to be a school to uh, to welcome children of all ages, that is, between 3 and 17, 18 uh, years old. Um, then after that, two years later, in 2009, came the idea of implementing a European curriculum in the secondary school. The European curriculum is a different one, because what we teach here is the French curriculum in seven languages. But the... Um, the European school teaches a totally different curriculum program and uh, takes uh, students to a different type of diploma, the European BAC. Uh, but it's very good diploma that opens the doors of all uh, European universities, like the French International BAC also does. So it means that uh, our students uh, can choose when they enter the secondary school, they can choose between two different curricula. And uh, one of them the European one is given 80% in English and the other one is given 65% uh, in French and the rest in another language. English, German, Italian, Spanish, Japanese, Chinese. That's it. <laughs> we, we don't give any, uh, uh, well, we don't have any Korean or, um, or other uh, section or Indian section. Because at the time, you know, nobody could uh, uh, foresee that so many children from India and from uh, uh, South Korea uh, would in the end come to this school, which is the case, has been the case for the last three years. So that's where, where we give to, to children. And of course, our idea is to serve the ITER project. Um, how do we serve it? Well, I often uh, tell this story. Imagine that ITER offers a contract of five years to the best engineer in China, South Korea, or any remote country. And ITER really wants this person that they have chosen to contribute to the project and settle down in the south of France, of course, with his family. So what is this person going to say to his or her family the same evening? Oh dear, darling, honey, we're leaving to France. How about, how about going there and uh, t being part of a wonderful, you know, scientific project? And of course, the spouse would answer, uh, <clears throat> "How about our children?" <laughs> 
Well, there is an international school, you know, dedicated to our children, special for them. So, um, so we, I really personally uh, understand the mission of the of the school is to serve the ETA project by providing an excellent education, a very nice school, a place where children could, you know, thrive and make friends of of all countries, learn, of course, many different languages, which they do so much easier than I do, <laughs> and. Um, and 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 get a full curriculum that leads them to you know choosing their university, which is the ultimate goal of a school. <laughs> so that the, so that's how we serve the ITA project, and we also keep a very strong, close, and good relationship with the ITA uh, director. Uh, okay, and uh, originally the school was founded for the children of uh, ETA employees, but today it uh, welcomes many local children as well, right? Uh, can you tell us a bit more uh, about the bilingual education program and uh, its benefits for both groups? Uh, first, I, I'll make a quick update. <laughs> this, uh, this year, the proportion of ETA staff children is around 65%, so... The majority of our children come from uh, the ITER project. It was not the case uh, eight, ten years ago at the beginning of the school because ITER was still uh, small. And uh, so the school had to welcome, could welcome um, children from around, children from France, children from, you know, uh, uh, couples who came back from a foreign country with a, another language and so on. Uh, now it has become almost impossible for them to enter the primary school. 90% of the primary school children are ITER uh, staff uh, children. And in the secondary school, it's a little less, but still, uh, on the whole, it really has become the ITER school, which it was not really a few years ago. Um, then, the benefits of uh, a bilingual education. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I could talk for hours, but I'll make it short. Um, being bilingual, I, it has been shown you know, in, in scientific studies that being bilingual, uh, particularly when you start early in your, in your childhood, um, makes your uh, brain more able to focus and memorize. And these two um, very important uh, qualities or um, abilities are, uh, are essential if you want to study and also if you want, you know, just to develop yourself. So this is the scientific part of it. But I would also stress the cultural part of it. That is, what is interesting here is the fact that um, by sharing different languages that you don't speak at home, you share a world that is yours when you're, imagine when you're 12, and you speak French with your friends, which is a common language here among children, because some of them study in Japanese and some of them in English and some of them, but all study in French. So French becomes the common ground and the common language of, of all of them. The, and then, of course, English, because they will study also English, some in English and some study English as a second language. So um, with these two uh, foreign languages that they don't speak at home, they build a sort of, you know, uh, a community that is different from what they live in their family, different from what they have left in their country. 
and also different from from what is around them in France. So that is what builds, you know, strong bonds between the the kids. The it builds an identity, the feeling of being really different. Maybe they don't express it because they're young and they're not, you know, thinking about it, but I'm thinking for them. <laughs> but what I see is this, they have this secret language like between twins, you know, a language that no one shares around them. They speak English and the French people don't un understand them. They speak French and they can hide from their parents, which is great when you get 14, you know. So, uh, so this is what is building a, a, a special community here. And also the fact that our teachers also are native. So they come, I mean, the children, they come from roughly 30 different countries, but the, the teachers come from 18 different countries. So there's also, you know, this sort of mix in the teacher's body. So um, they... Uh, the teachers bring them, you know, also their culture, their way of talking, their way of teaching, their way of presenting the the works they have to they have to do, which is a little different in France, in Italy, in Spain, and and in England and all that. So they have to adapt constantly, and when you adapt constantly, well, you get you know quicker and a little bit maybe better in your in your studies. Then we also. Uh, not in the COVID uh, era, unfortunately, but usually uh, the the school year is full of events of all around the world. So I remember the first thing I did here when we heard the first time about this virus was to cancel uh, the the Chinese New Year that was supposed to take place, you know, ten days later. So it was in January, and um, it was really such a I mean, uh, come on, uh, heartbreaking. That that, um, but I had to do it, and then I understood that well, it had been a good idea. <laughs> and many and all these events have been, of course, cancelled since. But we are working and hoping that next year we can go back to the normal life in Oipaka uh, in the international school, which means not only the Chinese New Year, but all sorts of uh, pleasant events. Some of them are national like Chinese or uh, German Day or things like this. We only celebrated this year D-Day, uh, Dante, the anniversary of Dante, the Italian poet. That's all we did, just, you know, singing around. And uh, so the, we hope that, yes, it, it will come back, the many, many different events that we share together. Some of them national, some of them international, like Christmas or things like this. Uh, it sounds just as a perfect project, but could you also talk a bit about some challenges that you're facing here in the school? Yes. Uh, I would say there are two main challenges. The first one is to have under the same roof people from 30 different countries, cultures, languages, and um, all those families have their own idea of what a good education is. And <clears throat> let's say that the American way of seeing things is quite different from the Japanese one. <laughs> so we have to find a path, you know, in between and to explain, explain and re-explain all the time. Parents trust the school here. They're very nice to us. Most of them are really, you know, accepting what we do and the way we, we do it. But tiny minority finds it disappointing, maybe, that this school is not what they uh, thought it, it was before they came. 
For instance, uh, some of them thought that international meant English speaking. Because it is the case in the rest of the world. But you're in France, and in France there is a law saying that it's forbidden for a public-funded school to teach under 50% in French. Yes. So that's why our program is settled to offer at least 50% in French and the rest in English, German, and so on. The European curriculum is different. But uh, so some parents say, what? He or she or my children have to learn French? What is this language? Sorry, yes. So this is also a struggle that we have to, you know, lead uh, <laughs> every, every day uh, to convince people that French is the language of this country, the host country. So it's very important for their children and for themselves, but they're adults, they do their own you know, make their own choices. But for the children, it's very important if they stay a few years in France that they understand this country, the country they live in, and they can, you know, make friends and integrate in, in another culture, which is not always easy. And the second challenge is to, uh, to have under the same roof uh, children um, three years old and 18 years old and all in between. But this is something that I'm used to because I, I used to work uh, in French schools abroad and French schools abroad are all of this type, very international and also from nursery school to, uh, to high school. This is also difficult because it means a lot of adaptation to you know, the rhythm of work, even of walking to the, to the canteen is different when you're small and when you're older. Uh, the activities that they like are different. Their teachers are very different. They see things, you know, from their own point of view. And they have sometimes a little bit of difficulty to communicate with each other. And then uh, what else? Well, the relationship with parents is, is usually good. I try to communicate a lot. I answer questions every day and try also to um, reassure them that we're taking care, good care of their children, but also listening to them because sometimes they uh, offer, you know, new ideas and, and why not? So the, <coughs> the, uh, the parents uh, elected, we have elected parents, elected by all parents who, with whom the dialogue is every day or almost every day and they help us a lot you know build a new um, better idea and also improve here and there the little things that need need to improving because as you said the project is wonderful but then living it living with it or have it live every day uh can be exhausting. Yeah. Um, but talking about you actually yourself and your journey here I, I really wanted to know um as you said, you've worked with other schools in the past. How did you actually end up here as the head of the international school and perhaps your journey here? If you could tell us briefly. Yes. I, uh, so I, I, I used to be a teacher. I was a French teacher. Okay. And then after a few years, I decided to change. And, you know, in the French system, if you want to change, you change. You cannot be a teacher and a director or manager or anything. Choose choose. So I left the classroom. Uh, that was 20 years ago this year. Then I started, you know, in Lyon in France. And then I asked 
because there is a huge uh, net of a network of uh, French schools abroad, 500 of them. So I asked if I could go abroad. And I'm a lucky person. So I was lucky enough to go to Canada to spend five years in Montreal with my children where they studied and, you know, started their lives. And then I uh, came back to Europe and I went to Spain and where I spent also five years. And after 10 years, I had to, French rules, had to go back to France. And there was no, um, I didn't know, I mean, I had heard of this school uh, when it was founded through, you know, an article in the press. And that was the only idea I had that there was a school in Manosque. So there was no international school available in France because they are so little, so uh, such a, a small number of schools, of international schools. So I said, well, I'm going to take a year off, <laughs> a year, you know, to think, make new projects and get a, get a new start in life. And... And then it was the end of the year, it was June, when someone, well, when someone told me, have a look on this website, and I saw they were recruiting a, a headmaster just this week. So I'm just a lucky person. And I'm the luckiest of all to, to, to be here, because really when I discovered this, this incredible system, it's absolutely unique, you know. It doesn't exist in France, it doesn't exist abroad. So uh, so it's really a challenge, a very interesting challenge for a manager to, to come in the, this type of school. And uh, I, I still enjoy myself every day. Well, lucky and definitely very deserving. Thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Hey listeners, so today's interviews with our four guests were in fact very revealing and insightful. I hope you learned not only about the intricacies of Eater's international and multifaceted human factors, but also the experiences that people live through here when moving and living a different life. Whether it's revolving around scientific passions, the expat life, or bilingual education for children, as we heard with Laura Benjana. Though the challenges that the ETER employees and their families face on a daily basis are varied, so are the rewards to overcome them. So for our next episode, we will be diving deep into science, the science of fusion and plasma and all of that wonderful stuff with a unique group of scientists that have come here with big dreams and visions. Definitely a fun episode to look out for. See you then.